Hey, good morning, everyone. We are so grateful you've joined us on this snowy, windy Colorado morning. I was thinking this time a year ago, we shut down because of COVID. And this is on the one-year anniversary of us having to shut down on COVID. Now we shut down because of Snowvid, right? Okay, that's a dad joke. I appreciate that. Thank you for your laughter. <laughs> anyway, we're so glad you joined us. And I, I, I can see you right now. I know you're tucked away on your couch with your flannel jammies and your hot chocolate and your coffee. I want you to know I'm, I'm suffering to bring you this message. So I appreciate some love. I appreciate all your full attention today. But aren't you grateful for technology? Because, you know, just 10 years ago on a, on a Sunday like this, we would have had to cancel church and there was no way of broadcasting the message back to you. So I just want to say thank you to all of you that are joining us on Facebook. So send up a little blue thumb right there, a little red heart if you're on Facebook Live this morning. Or if you're on our YouTube channel, thank you for watching. In fact, if you want to comment or ask questions about the sermon or the message, we have people ready to interact with you on YouTube. And we're obviously grateful for those of you that have watched on newlifechurch.org. And for those of you that are watching right now on KRDO across the front range of the Rocky Mountains, we're so grateful. We hope you stay safe. We hope you stay warm. And by the way, aren't we? We need the moisture. We're in a very dry season. So even in the middle of the storm, there is necessary moisture that is falling. And I also want to invite you, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus here at New Life Church. If you have not been a part of our in-person gatherings, I want you to go to newlifechurch.org because across the city, on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate an empty tomb. And I believe it's going to be one of the most profound celebrations we've ever had as a church. Last year on Easter Sunday, we had to celebrate from our homes. This year, we're going to be together. We're going to lift our voices. We're going to sing and worship. And we want you to be a part. We would love it if you and your family and friends joined us for Easter weekend here at New Life Church. We're in a series right now going through the Minor Prophets, and we're coming to the end of the series, and we're talking today about the book of Zechariah. So it's the next to last book in the, New, in the Hebrew Testament. Turn there with me to Zechariah, and we're going to look at some three different things in this book. Now let me just be honest about the book of Zechariah. It's, it's very difficult, quite honestly, to read. It, it's, it's, a, a, it's a man's dreams. So Zechariah was having these dreams and visions in the middle of the night. And a lot like your dreams, his dreams seemed a little bizarre. There were four blacksmiths, four horns. There were things flying around the air. In fact, if you read through the book of Zechariah, it's easy to get lost in a lot of the language. And that's why sometimes when you read through the Bible, you need a guide. You need someone to kind of take you by the hand and lead you through a book. And that's what I'm going to try to do today. Zechariah is writing to the people of Israel after they have returned from Babylonian captivity. And they are now in the process of rebuilding the second temple. And what's happening in their hearts is they know God is up to something. They suspect that God is trying to do something remarkable and powerful in their nation, but it's taking a long time to happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever suspected or been praying for God to do something in your life? You want God to show up. You want God to change something in your life, but it seems to be taking a really long time. And that's what Zechariah is addressing in this book. He's trying to tell the people of Israel, look, God is at work. God's up to something. 
Don't be impatient. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't get anxious about it because God has not stopped working on your behalf. So I want to show you three big things in the book of Zechariah today. So I want to go first to Zechariah chapter 3 and look at verses 3 through 5. So Zechariah is caught up in this uh, vision, this dream, and he sees the priest Joshua. He says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Again, this is a vision, a dream. He sees this godly man, this, God who, this man who represents God to the people. He doesn't look like a priest. In fact, he looks in disrepair. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And then he said, put a clean turban on his head. And they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And I want to remind you that the people of Israel had just spent 70 years in exile. They had just come back from Babylonian captivity. And they did not come back to a paradise. The people of God had actually come back to a place that was in disrepair. And their souls had been damaged by being slaves for the last 70 years. There was something broken inside of them. And God was not only trying to restore the temple to its former glory, he most importantly was trying to restore his people. He was trying to remind his people in this vision that while you may feel broken, while the past 70 years may have damaged your soul, I have come to set things right with you. And this story reminds me of the same story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. You know, Luke 15 is the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then he tells a third story about a lost son. And this son goes away and wastes his money and spends his life on wild living, and he finds himself in a pig pen, and he wakes up one day and he says, I need to go back to my dad's house, and I can be a slave there. And I believe that's what probably what the people of Israel were feeling as they came back to Jerusalem. I can go back to Jerusalem, but we're always going to be slaves. We're always going to be less than what we were before. But Jesus is reminding people here in Luke 15 the same thing as Zechariah was reminding the people of God that he has something better for us. Listen to this story. This is Jesus telling the story of the son coming back to the father, and, and, the, and the son is a mess. And think about this. He's been traveling. He's not had a shower. He doesn't have clean clothes. And, and, and when the father sees the son walking home, the Bible says that the dad runs out to meet him and grabs him and embraces him and hugs him, even when he is a mess. And he says, the father said to his servants, in Luke 15, verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet, and I love this because I like a good barbecue, bring the fattened calf and put it on the Traeger. Kill it, smoke it, barbecue it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Listen to this, verse 24 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found and so they began to celebrate. Now, now I want you to think about Luke 15 
and Zechariah 3. This is the same story being told in two different ways. Zechariah was telling the people of God, yes, you have been in slavery. Yes, you are a broken mess. Yes, you, are, you are, have been harmed by your captivity, but I am bringing you home. I am causing you to be healed. I am the one that can heal you. When Jesus tells this story in Luke 15, he uses a robe, a ring, and a sandals. And he says, I'm going to give you a new robe because all of you can come home. We can come home barren. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you are waiting to get your life fixed and right before you come back to church. And let me just tell you, you've got that in reverse order. You can come back to the body of Christ. You can come back to the church and actually come back barren. You don't have to come back to the church with everything in order. You don't have to come back to the church with everything restored. You come back to the church barren. You can always come home. And he also gives him a ring in Luke chapter 15 because we can come home broke. The ring actually was a symbol of your financial standing in the community. The ring gave you spending power in the community. And he had to get the ring back. He had to get something back. The people of God and Zechariah had lost all of their economic power. They had lost their businesses. They had lost their homes. Some of you during this last year of pandemic, you've lost something. You may, you, you've lost some of your economic standing. Some of you have lost business. You lost your job. Maybe you lost something. Maybe you are a stay-at-home mom and you had to decide between staying home and educating your children or going back into the workforce and you had to make an economic decision. I want to encourage you if the Lord says you can come home broke. You can come back to God. Your economic standing is not important to God. God will restore back to you what's been taken from you. The robe says we can come home barren. The ring says we can come home broke. And he also gave him sandals because he reminds us we can come home bruised. We can come home bruised. And some of you feel bruised right now. The people of God in Zechariah 3 felt very bruised. They were broken. And the Lord says, I am the one who can restore you. So this first story in Zechariah 3, this is movement number one in this book. So if you're reading through the book of Zechariah, the first movement that I want to show you is movement number one, and that is we're worth more than we think. You are worth more to God than you think. God loves you. God sees you. God knows you. God values you. God is ready to receive you back in the condition you are right now. God is not waiting for you to get your life back in order before he receives you. God is ready to welcome you back because you're worth more than you think. Now turn with me to the next chapter, Zechariah chapter 4, because we see another movement here, another story, I think something important for us to all catch. Zechariah 4, verse 6, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel was the leader, he was the leader of the time, and he says to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I've always loved that passage of scripture, even as a little boy, when I would hear that, it resonated in me. And I love it, it says, not by might or power, not by might. He's talking about human effort. 
He's talking about the human effort to, to solve problems. He says, not by might, our power. I want to say to you this morning I, that you cannot manufacture outcomes. And we cannot manipulate outcomes. One of the great lessons that I learned, I've been married now to my wife Pam for 31 and a half years. I know I don't look that old. I appreciate the stunned look on all of your faces right now. Uh, Pam and I got married when we were 12. It was a scandal of the seventh grade. I know that. But we cannot, but one of the great lessons that I have learned over the years is that I cannot manufacture outcomes in Pam. And Pam cannot manufacture outcomes in me. We cannot manipulate one another to change. At some point in every relationship, you have to trust the Holy Spirit to make the changes that are necessary. Well, the problem with all of that, if I can be honest, is that you have to take your hands off the steering wheel. You have to give up control. And you have to go into a season of waiting. Not long ago, I got asked to be involved in a dispute among a group of people. This is not in my city. It's not here in Colorado Springs. And I was trying to referee. I was trying to navigate the disagreement between people. And I was using all the wisdom that I knew. I, I mean, I have some wisdom. I have some thoughts on it. And I was trying to do everything in my might and everything in my power to cause the, the right outcome. I was trying. I was, I was giving everything I had to this particular process. And the Lord said to me in Zechariah, he used this passage in Zechariah to remind me, it's not by might, Brady. Sometimes your human effort is enough. Sometimes your human uh, wisdom and strength is enough. But most of the time, it's not by might, not by power. But Brady, it's by my spirit. And I remember just taking my hands off the steering wheel just, and releasing control of that situation back to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to flood in, to come into that place by my spirit, says the Lord. Here's the bottom line. We have to trust the Holy Spirit for outcomes. You have, at some point, every mature believer in Christ, if you've been following Jesus very long, if you are like me and you've welcomed the work of the Holy Spirit into your life, at some point, you have to trust the Holy Spirit for outcomes. And many of us are trying to manipulate God to get more from him instead of just trusting him with our worship. You see, we just came out of a moment, well, a minute ago, we were singing these songs, King of Kings, God, to God be the glory, we're singing these powerful songs. It's in that moment of worship where we release control to the world. All, the, all of the cares of the world that we brought in with us it's in that time of worship where we find ourselves releasing control back to God. And this is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 1. Let me show you what happened. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has been buried in a borrowed tomb. And he has participated in the resurrection. Now he is standing before his disciples outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says to them, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Listen to that language just for a moment. Leave that on the screen. I want you to pay attention to this. Oftentimes, 
when Jesus makes you a promise, there is a season of waiting that follows. So he gave them a command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Look at verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days. Now leave that up for a moment because I've always been marvel. I've been amazed by that because Jesus in that moment could have said, be filled with the Spirit. He could have looked at his disciples while he was eating with them, while he was with them, and said, be filled with the Spirit. He could have done it in that moment. But Jesus was teaching his followers to wait upon him. Jesus was teaching them the act of faith because faith always involves waiting. You cannot call yourself a person of faith if you're not a person who is willing to wait upon the Lord. And when we wait upon the Lord, it is showing God that we're willing to trust him with not only with the outcomes, but with the time in between, with the chasm of time in between the promise and the, and the redemption of that promise. There's this chasm of time, and God is concerned with how we use our time of waiting. Are we trusting in the Lord. And Zechariah is reminding us that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And it requires us to wait. So here's movement number two. I want you to pray about this and think about this. Movement number two in the book of Zechariah. Waiting takes faith and God always responds to our faith. Listen very carefully, New Life Church. All of you that are watching right now, listen, I want to encourage you. Some of you have been so faithful. You have prayed. And I just sense this morning as I'm speaking to you on the camera this morning that there are some of you that have been laboring in prayer for a loved one. Maybe you've been laboring in prayer for healing. Maybe you've been laboring in prayer for the financial concerns in your home. And you have been people of faith. And I just want to encourage you on this snowy blizzard morning here in Colorado as you are stuck in your home as you again have time to wait upon the Lord would you just take this day when we can't get out and travel we can't go we, we, we're, we can't go do things anyway would you take a moment today on this snowy Sunday and would you just set your heart again and say to the Lord I am willing to wait upon the Lord for what he is going to do in my life Here's the third thing I want to show you in Zechariah chapter 7. If you'll flip over to there, Zechariah 7, verse 8. It says, the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And listen, I want you to look at the, the list of things that Zechariah is reminding the people of God to do. This is a list of activities, a list of convictions that God is wanting them to embody, to embrace. Zechariah is reminding them of the same thing that God's been saying to the nation of Israel for 2,000 years at this point. And God has continued to say these exact same things to us today in 2021. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty is saying, has said, is saying, and will say. Administer true justice. In other words, care about what is right and wrong and show mercy and compassion 
to one another. If there was ever a message we need to hear today in 2021, I think those first two things are pretty important. Make sure that you're administering true justice. Make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reason. And while you are administering true justice, make sure you show compassion and kindness to the people around you. In verse 10, he says, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. In other words, in all of your decisions, in all of your business decisions, in all of your activities, make sure that the widow in your neighborhood, make sure the widow that's in your family, some of you have a family and you have a widow in your family, maybe your grandmother, maybe your mom, maybe an aunt, someone in your, in your family who's been widowed. The Bible says, pay particular attention to the widow. This is, in fact, James in chapter 1 says, pure religion undefiled before God and the fathers to take care of the widow and the orphan. And this is again, Zechariah 7, don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the widow and the orphan. If there were two groups of people that God has always been concerned about, God was concerned about the widow and the orphan in Zechariah chapter 7, and I can absolutely assure you today, God is still concerned about the widow and the orphan today. And then he says, also the foreigner or the poor, do not plot evil against each other. What Zechariah is saying to us is, now listen, look for people in your neighborhood. Look for people in your city who have been pushed to the margins. Look for the people who have been oppressed. Look for the people who have who have, been, who have been facing injustice, and you be the people of God that go out there and rescue them. Zechariah is reminding us of movement number three. He says every generation has the opportunity to be a witness. And here's my question to you as I was reading that this week. The question the Lord said to me, and this is, this is a conversation God had with me this week, that now I'm going to push back to you. The Lord says, will we be this kind of people? Will you be a people who are willing to wait? Will you be a people of the Spirit? Will you be a people of justice? Will you be a people who will receive forgiveness when it comes your way? Because these are the people that God blesses. God is reminding us today of our worth, of our waiting and our witness. And I want to pray for you right now. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song about the power of waiting. We're going to sing a song about the power of waiting on the Lord. But before that, I want to pray over you. And in just a moment, Pastor Andrew is going to come and lead us to the table of the Lord. But I want to pray for you this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that we're a people that we're worth more than we think. And Father, I just pray right now that everyone that's watching this broadcast would know that of their powerful worth. That they would know that God loves them. That God, that you're in the waiting. And Lord, we thank you today that you've called us to be a witness to the watching world. So Lord, as we come now to the table of the Lord, would you remind us of your goodness and of your grace. And Father, we thank you today that there is power available to us when we wait upon the Lord. Let's sing this song this morning and let's prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord.
Friends, let me invite you to take your communion elements in your hands if you have them this morning. As Pastor Brady was sharing about waiting on God, I couldn't help but think we're getting ready to celebrate Easter Sunday here in a few weeks, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And there is a moment in the church calendar that many of us overlook and it's Holy Saturday. We know about the devastation of Good Friday and we know about the triumph of Easter Sunday, but sometimes what we forget is that even Jesus had to exist in the waiting. <laughs> Jesus doesn't manufacture his own resurrection, but he gives up his life and he lays it down. And then he even waits upon the father to raise him from the dead. And so this is what Paul says, and Paul explicitly ties what happens with the Lord Jesus to what happens with us. He says this in Romans 8 verse 11. He says that if the same spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. In other words, in the same way that Jesus offered his life up to the father and had to wait for the father to raise him from the dead, so also we who are in Christ offer ourselves up to the father and we wait for him to raise us in his way and in his time. So here's our responsibility. 
It's to tuck our lives constantly into the life of Jesus Christ and trust that because God raised him from the dead, he's also gonna raise us from the dead. And so here we are this morning and we're holding these elements in our hands and we remember that on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. Let's break it together. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this whenever you take it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, the new covenant in his blood. By this covenant, we are wrapped into the life of Christ and that is the most secure place that we could ever be. Brothers and sisters, the cup of salvation, the cup of the new covenant, let's take it to our lips together. And we give thanks to you, our God and Father, that when we were still far off, you met us in your son, like the prodigal son. You went out to find us and you brought us home, dying and living. He declared your love. He gave us grace and he opened the gates of glory. So we pray that this morning that we who share in Christ's body would also share in his risen life, that we who drink his cup would bring life to the world, that you would make us lights to the world. Granted, we're praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now, brothers and sisters, I pray that the grace and the peace of God, the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit would go with you. We're so grateful that you could join us for worship this morning. Grace and peace be with you.